Good morning and welcome to chapel. As we gather together during May term, let's bask in the joy of God's creation and recognize God's presence and power in this place. This morning we light this lamp to recognize the spirit not only among us here in Goshen, but also with those who are far away from us, our sisters and brothers around the world. Let's pray. Creator God, as we listen, as we share, may we find renewal and inspiration in the words of your people for our lives of faith. Amen. We will now join in singing. Please turn in your hymnals, the blue hymnals, to number one. What is this place? journeys number six Yesu Tawakan. We will sing this song through three times the first in the Shona language and then in English and then in Spanish and if you would like to sing um, either of those verses in another language that is fine.
Two readings from scripture, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and Isaiah 41, verses 18 to 20. I alone know my purpose for you, says Yahweh, my purpose for your prosperity and my purpose not to harm you, my purpose to give you hope with a future in it. I will make rivers run on barren heights and fountains bubble up in the valleys. I will turn the wilderness into a lake and dry ground into a spring. I will put cedar trees in the wilderness, acacias, myrtles, and olives. In the desert, I will plant the cypress, the elm, and the evergreen side by side, so that all may see and know, all may observe and understand that the hand of Yahweh has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. This morning, we will be hearing reflections from two graduating seniors, Sarah Wilson and James Weber. And I invite Sarah to come share with us now. Good morning. My name is Sarah Wilson, and I'm honored to share a part of my faith story with you this morning. I especially appreciate the verses that Tamara just read because they reflect my transformation um, from hardships into blessings, and they give me hope in difficult times. I'm going to start with a confession. I'm not really sure why I was asked to share my faith story today. I've never shared it publicly, so no one really knows what they're in for, and you'll learn soon enough that I'm not qualified by any means of my own. I kind of feel like Moses, who was really unfit for his job, but God used him anyway. I have just as many struggles and spiritually dry phases as anyone, but God has blessed me and brought joy and life into my wilderness, and I want to share that hope with you this morning. Actually, I'm terrified to share that hope with you this morning. But uh, God keeps telling me that it's his story, not my story, and he can share it whenever he wants to. In order to tell you how my faith has been shaped while at GC, I need to tell you what state it was in when I first got here. While my core beliefs have not really changed, at least they're all a little more informed after being challenged and renegotiated for four years. When I first arrived at Goshen College, my beliefs were what you might expect of a conservative evangelical Christian. I believed Jesus was the only way to heaven. I believed that meeting needs of the soul was more urgent than meeting those of the body. I believed it was important to go to church. I believed in the Bible as God's word and that it was truth with a capital T. I believed that those who didn't know Jesus were lost and that Christians should share the gospel with them. I believed our words and our lives should reflect our faith in Jesus. And all these beliefs and actions made me a little out of place at my public high school. And they made me a little out of place here too, but that didn't hit until after the first couple weeks. I was really pretty naive about a lot of things. In fact, I didn't even know what a pacifist was until my mom was driving me up here during move-in weekend and said, oh, Sarah, by the way, most Mennonites are pacifists, so that might come up in discussions. <laughs> I said, pacifists? What's a pacifist? And she said, oh, they uh, believe in peace and they don't believe in war. I was like, oh, well, that's fine. I don't believe in war either. But little did I know what I was really in for. I felt so refreshed at the beginning of my freshman year when Christian programs were advertised and attended. But as I got to know people better, and as the presidential elections drew nearer, I realized I didn't fit in. Along with pacifism, my classmates were all into this concept of social justice. I hadn't heard of that one before either. We both thought justice meant getting what you deserve. But where I saw it as criminals being put behind bars, my peers saw it as oppression being lifted from the backs of innocent victims. It took me a while to recognize the difference and to understand peace as biblical shalom and not just the absence of war. My colloquium class, Religious History of the Americas with Keith Graber Miller, was my main outlet for learning of and responding to these concepts. 
I was surrounded by peers with far more liberal theological and social beliefs than mine, but who demonstrated their beliefs in a lifestyle that I found compellingly radical and authentic. But what I remember and appreciate most from Keith's colloquium was the opportunity we had to share our faith stories. Sitting in Keith's backyard, we felt open to share some of our most personal testimonies of doubt, belief, confusion, and pain. I shared the story of my family and how, for me, faith was directly related to crisis. My faith helped me endure crises, and my faith grew as a result of them. Six months before I came to college, my sisters and I learned that our dad had committed adultery with a close family friend, and it seemed for the umpteenth time that my parents might finally get divorced. My parents have struggled to hold on to their marriage for 25 years, as long as I can remember, but I doubt you'd ever guess it from meeting them, because they and my sisters and I have all been good at putting on masks when we go out in public. Maybe some of you do too. Even today, not more than a few people know about the pornography, addictions, meltdowns, multiple affairs, or mental illnesses that make our home like a landmine field in terms of conflict. While these hardships, and especially the affair, were devastating at the time, I'm sure some of you know what it's like to literally pull out your hair in despair, I can now honestly say that I am thankful, yes, thankful for those crises. And that's where faith and Goshen and peacemaking and God all intersect. By going away for college, I was able to gain a clearer perspective on my family situation. Believe it or not, I actually think transforming conflict and violence gave me some hope and enthusiasm for reconciliation and renewal in my home. When I returned home, I had more patience with my dad, and as the eldest of three sisters, continued my role as mediator and mentor for navigating rough waters. However, things didn't improve but got worse. My mom called me spring semester to ask for my thoughts on them getting divorced. I started struggling seriously with anxiety, and Dad's mental illnesses and erratic behavior continued to perplex and provoke all of us. During this time, I continued to participate in all the right spiritual activities. I read my Bible and prayed every day, went to church every Sunday, volunteered with Meals on Wheels, wrote letters to members of the persecuted church and leaders of their countries, played in the church handball choir, and attended campus worship night in a small group every week. These activities gave me purpose and helped me gain independence from my family. I'm sure they also perpetuated people's assumption that I came from a perfect family and had a perfect life. My faith was real, though, and it was strong, but it was also stretching and giving me pains. I was quickly realizing that many people who call themselves Christians believe far differently than I did. Pacifism accounted for the bulk of my inner turmoil, as I soon realized that I wasn't a pacifist after all and needed to find out if I should be. I'm not the type who can brush spiritual dissonance under the rug, so this crisis of theology plagued me for several weeks until I had done enough research to make an informed decision. I checked out books from the library, ordered a book off of Amazon, invited myself to a debate at Andrews University with Paul Kime and Joe Lichty, poured over scripture, prayed, and read in one night a little book by John Drescher entitled, Why I Am a Conscientious Objector. In the end, I became the first self-proclaimed pacifist in my family of veterans. My belief in pacifism is rooted in Jesus' example of forgiveness and grace, which we as Christians are called to accept and extend. However, there was to be a little more growth before I forgave my own trespassers as Christ forgave me. Due to a complication in my plan of study, I ended up going on SST to the Dominican Republic during May term of my freshman year. For most students, the hardest part of SST is the language barrier. For me, it was living with the most in-love family I had ever known. Every time I saw their affection, my heart felt like it was on that amusement park ride that takes you way, way up and then just drops you all of a sudden. It was really awe-inspiring to learn from their example, but it was so difficult to think about how much my sisters were missing out on and how much I had missed out on in the past. On service, I became close friends with a couple other SSTers who held me up in prayer, listened, gave sound advice, and shared their ideas on politics, social justice, and peacemaking. I told them about my parents' ordeals, and they encouraged me to keep the faith and not give up on what God could do. One of them continued asking about and praying for my parents a couple years after SST, renewing my hope at the times when it had all been run out. 
Junior year was a spiritual valley for me as I struggled more with anxiety, the thorn in my side, and as I behaved out of fear instead of faith when I felt God nudging me to do some things that were scary, and even as I joined the campus ministries team, chapel committee, and spiritual advisory board. Just to clarify, those last three items didn't uh, provoke my spiritual dryness, but they just made me feel guilty about being spiritually dry. You remember I mentioned, oh, I haven't mentioned this actually. I mentioned uh, the song, Don't Be Afraid, was my theme song for last year. It's a song that we're going to sing later. It was especially so when my sisters and I decided to write a letter of love and forgiveness to the woman who had committed adultery with my dad. We didn't mention what she had done, but just that because of God's grace, we were healing from what had happened, and we knew God wanted to heal her as well. We told her the gospel in a nutshell and that God loved her, and so did we. I was finally putting what I had learned about peacemaking into practice. We weren't sure if our mom had forgiven her yet, so we kept the project just between the three of us sisters, not wanting to hurt mom by becoming friends with her enemy. We looked up the woman's address online, saw there was just one listing under her name in her hometown, and mailed the letter. Almost a year passed without us hearing from her, and we all quit expecting a reply. But lo and behold, when I arrived back at Goshen last August, there was a letter with her return address waiting for me. While I was surprised that she had written back after so long, I was shocked that her letter revealed her to be practically illiterate. The healthcare job she had held would not have allowed for that. Her letter said she had been tempted to have an affair last year, but had decided not to since she was married. Good choice. In addition to some moral questions, she wanted to know how she could be assured she would go to heaven to be with her heavenly father when she died. I couldn't believe it. I had never before witnessed to someone so hungry for the gospel. And I have to confess, there were more than a few minutes when I wondered why I would want to tell this woman who had caused so much hell in my life how she could go to heaven. But by God's grace, we did. This time we decided we would rather call than write to her, so we went online to find her phone number. But this time there were two listings under this woman's name in the same hometown, and we knew from the husband's names that we had written to the wrong one. For some mysterious purpose, God had gotten us in touch with a complete stranger with the same name and weaknesses as the woman we meant to write to and who really wanted to know God. We got in touch with her, explained the mix-up, who we were, and how God had used our error to reach out to her with his love. And she's been in contact with us about every month since. Over Easter, my sisters and I told our mom about all that had transpired and invited her to join us in writing another letter of forgiveness to the real woman who had committed adultery with our dad. <laughs> this story revealed to all of us how God's ways are higher than ours and his plans bring beauty out of ashes. My faith is so much stronger because of this trial that God has worked together for good during the last four years. If there's anything I've learned here, it's that God uses every experience for his glory if we let him, and sometimes even when we're not aware of it. God used my naivety to lead me here. God used my seemingly premature SST experience to show me family and marriage at its best, and to give me meaningful friendships with Christian peers who encouraged me to keep working for change. And God has used my experience among Mennonites to support my desire to do service and to help me live more simply and make peace with my enemies. He's also humbled me, because as a freshman, I said I'd never work for a Mennonite organization. And now this summer, I'll serve my third year with MCC in Kentucky, and then teach with SALT in South Korea. Evidently, God has a plan far superior to mine. As one of my dear friends always ends her letters, hold fast the hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter how impossible your circumstances seem, no matter how deep a spiritual valley you may be wandering in, hold fast to whatever bit of faith you've got. In our weakness, God is strong. turn in your sing the journey books to number 105 don't be afraid
Good morning. My name is James Weber. I'm also a, graduate, a graduating senior. Um, and I've also been asked to speak this morning on how my faith has changed in my four years here at Goshen College. And like Sarah, I'm not really sure why I was chosen to speak on this subject, but here it goes. So yes, my faith has changed immensely in the last four years. I know that. I am a different person with a much different view on religion, God, and life in general. But now that I'm trying to say exactly how I've changed, I'm kind of having trouble. How have I changed? Let me look back on who I was before Goshen. High school was rough on me faith-wise. I went to a Mennonite school, and there was only one brand of Christianity that seemed to be acceptable. There was a Friday morning Bible study that the good Christians went to, and shame on you if you didn't go to the huge megachurch worship service on Tuesday nights as well. And I tried to fit in. I tried to wave my arms the right way and pray the right way and do all the right Christian things. It was awful. It didn't work for me. I remember many times where I faked my way through a religious experience just to fit in. Often, when I simply refused to fake it, people would come up to me later, uber-concerned, and ask what was going on. I obviously was backsliding or suffering some temptation or was unable to take whatever the devil was slinging my way. I remember one time at that mega church where I just couldn't convince myself to get into the professional band during the worship. I actually ended up walking out of the service and um, went out to stand in the soothing silence outside the church. I remember watching the birds and planes fly overhead. I remember a feeling of great peace and connection with the divine. And then I remember the dreadful questions when I went back in. Questions if I was all right. What was wrong? Why would I leave such a meaningful and powerful worship service? Then I came to Goshen and everything was completely wonderful, right? No. I pretty much started off the same way, um, suffering through campus worship night and morning song. Now let me pause to say that uh, morning song, campus worship night, they're great for some people. Not, I tried, I couldn't do it. Um, there are many people who thrive in that and I don't. Um, so that's one way I've changed. I've become more aware of who I am. I've learned other ways that I can, that I can connect with the divine that actually work for me. Quiet reflection, intense discussion with others, Taze services, time in nature, social activism. These are things that help me connect. I also knew a lot more when I came to Goshen than I do now. Maybe one of my core values should be passionate on-learner. I was so sure of so many things when I came here, and now I'm not so sure. For example, I was sure God was male, right? Now, I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure God's not male. I think the main thing I've learned is to be comfortable with not knowing everything exactly. An English monk in the 14th century wrote a book, which I have not read. <laughs> it's, called, it's called The Cloud of Unknowing. Here's a quote. Our intense need to understand will always be a powerful stumbling block to our attempts to reach God in simple love and must always be overcome. For if you do not overcome this need to understand, it will undermine your quest. It will replace the darkness which you, which you have pierced to reach God with clear images of something which, however good, however beautiful, however godlike, is not God. That's a lot, so I'll read it again. Our intense need to understand will always be a powerful stumbling block to our attempts to reach God in simple love and must always be overcome. For if you do not overcome this need to understand, to understand, it will undermine your quest. 
it, this need to understand, will replace the darkness which you have pierced to reach God with clear images of something which, however good, however beautiful, however godlike, is not God. I have started to learn that I do not need to understand. I do not need to be able to list 25 things that God is. I don't need to understand. I don't need to decide between pre- and post-millennial dispensational eschatology. I don't need to understand or have the correct theology. God made me who I am. Is it not worship then to be myself? And turn to number 411 in the blue hymnals. I bind my heart this tide. And may the love of God surround you everywhere you go. You're dismissed.